Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on the basis of Luke chapter 16, verses 19 to 31, on September 25th, 2022. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours through our Lord who gives us a full life. Amen. One of the things you come to learn pretty early uh, about the Word of of God is that it both touches the the head and it touches the heart. It works in both of those ways. If you've heard it in a sermon before or in a reading or you've gone home and and read it on your own, chances are you've experienced both of those. It's It's an intriguing word. It sparks curiosity within you. Maybe you've heard the word before and it's given you a desire to learn more. It kind of opened up a, a thirst in you for knowledge and understanding, a thirst that you didn't even know was there in, in the first place. That's the word working on the head. But the word also works on the, on the heart. Chances are you've walked away from, from a, a worship service like this or, or you've opened your Bible in a, in a personal devotion and heard the exact words that you needed to hear at just the right time. And it's a phenomenon that, that you don't really know how to explain, but it's the, the word bringing you comfort in a way that's deeply meaningful, perhaps so much that, that it touches your emotions so deeply that it maybe even brings a tear to your eye. Or, or you walk away from, from a, a sermon on, on Sunday morning, and you, you are, are intent that you're going to go home and you're going to change something about the way that you live your life. Or maybe you just leave this, this place with, with a renewed uh, vigor for life, a renewed resolve to keep Jesus at the center of your life. You know, none of those things are, are that surprising. Because we come to learn in the Word that that's what the Word does. It, it works. It's powerful. It's living and active. But sometimes, uh, I imagine, that you hear a reading read in church or you open up uh, your Bible at your, your home. And when you read it, the impact on the head and the heart is not immediate. Maybe uh, you hear something and it's kind of confusing. You need to, to sit and to think about it a little bit longer. You maybe need someone to explain it to you before it really kind of hits you in, in the head, so to speak. Maybe there's other readings where you understand it immediately. The, the, the head impact is immediate. But the heart impact maybe takes a bit. It, it takes some time. It takes some, some thinking. It maybe takes someone trying to, to help you apply some of these truths to your life for that word to, to soak in. But there are other sections of Scripture that we read where the head impact and the heart impact are, are very almost <laughs> immediate. Where, where the head is engaged almost immediately and the wheels are turning in your, your mind. Where you feel convicted, comforted, and inspired, maybe all at the same time by the same text. I think we have one of those texts this morning. Listen to the story that Jesus is, is going to tell in Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, 
and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked up his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is God's word. So right away, we're introduced to a rich man. We're not given his name. He's just kind of known for his, his wealth. This, this guy wasn't middle class. He wasn't upper middle class. This was a guy that was in the top 1% of, of society. He was the elite. He was overwhelmingly wealthy. And you know how you could tell? In the reading, it says that, that he wore purple and fine linen. And that might not seem like a big deal to you. Uh, because you, you maybe have a, a closet full of purple things, right? Uh, but in that day, somebody who was wearing purple was either royalty or embarrassingly wealthy because the, the dye that they used to make these purple clothes was extremely rare and so it was really expensive and saved for those who could afford it or for the, the kings and queens of the day. This guy didn't just wear purple though. He wore purple and fine linen. This is the guy that, that gets out of the Rolls Royce wearing the diamond-studded Rolex with designer clothes and shoes that cost more than the average person's monthly rent. He was wealthy. And it seemed like he was for his entire life. He was born into it, and he lived in it all his life. The text says uh, that, that he lived in luxury every day. So we get introduced to this man in verse 19, and then we're very quickly introduced to another man in verses 20 and 21. And as Jesus is telling this, this story He's putting these two people side by side so that you'll see the, the, the major disparity that exists between the rich man and this man that we come to learn is named Lazarus. So Lazarus was a, a beggar, a beggar that obviously couldn't move around too well. Maybe you caught that detail at the beginning. Some people came and, and laid him. He had to be laid at the, the gate of this rich man. Maybe the, the friends really couldn't take care of him anymore, and they figured maybe this rich man could, could help him out. But, but either way, that, that's where Lazarus laid. He was covered with, with sores. He was so hungry that, that he just longed for the scraps from the rich man's table. And we're told that even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
which if you're picturing a cute golden retriever licking these, these sores, this is not a, a cute or endearing picture. The, the dogs were kind of like the raccoons or the, the possums or, or, or something like that of that day, right? They were considered dirty, and if you were being licked by them, if you were letting the dogs lick you, it was just a testament to how pitiful of a state you were in. That's what we learn about these two men, and that's all we, we know. And then they both die. And we get, we get the detail that, that Lazarus is carried by the angels off to Abraham's side, which in the Bible is another way to say the home of the righteous. And the rich man dies, and we're told he is buried. In the next verse, we're told that he is in a place called Hades, which we come to learn is not a pleasant place. He's burning in fire, incredibly uncomfortable, in torment. And perhaps the worst part of all of it is that it seems like he can look up and he can see in the distance Abraham and Lazarus enjoying heavenly bliss. He can see that. He can see what he's missing out on. And the rich man cries out. He wants just a little bit of relief and he addresses Abraham. He says, Father, Abraham. He calls him Father because likely this, this rich man was, was Jewish in this story. Abraham was his father, his, his greatest ancestor. That's where the, the Jewish race came from. And so he calls out to Abraham, Father, have mercy on me. Have pity on me. Give me a little bit of, of relief and use Lazarus to do it. Send him to do it. It's kind of ironic, right? How many times had Lazarus reached out to the rich man for just a little bit of relief? How many times had Lazarus reached out for just a, a crumb of bread to, to satisfy just a little bit of his hunger? How many times had the, the rich man walked by thinking that that wasn't his, his problem? And now we see the roles are reversed. He says, send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Abraham seems to, to respond in compassion. And he, and he says, there's, there's nothing I can do. There's a chasm fixed between us and you. This barrier that exists between us and you. Your fate has been sealed. The doom that you are experiencing cannot be reversed and it cannot be lessened. You're receiving what your life deserved. You are, are suffering for living an empty life. Now, nobody would have thought the rich man's life was, was empty. He had lots of, lots of friends. When he threw dinner parties, there were, were tons of people there. Imagine the funeral that this guy had. It was probably massive. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people came from different places to pay their respects to this man. This man lived what seemed like a pretty adventurous life. He went to his vacation homes on weekends. He got to travel in ways that other people didn't. When people looked at his Instagram feed, it was packed with photos of things that he was able to do, people he was able to meet, and things that he was able to buy. This man lived quite the life. And to anybody else that was observing it, it looked like a pretty full life. And quite honestly, while the rich man was alive, he felt that way too. He didn't feel like he was missing something. Nothing felt empty to him. He had anything that he needed, anything that he wanted right at his very fingertips. But upon his death, 
the true emptiness of this rich man's life was revealed. As we learned from God and as we learned from his, his word, this rich man's life was empty because it was a life lived apart from God and, and his word. It was a life that was devoid of anything spiritually sustaining. It was a life that was desolate of anything that could help him in an eternal kind of, of way. His friends were not going to be able to reconcile him to God, to bring him and God together again. His vacation home was not going to be able to forgive his sins, and his Instagram feed couldn't justify him before the Almighty God. But before we get too far in this story, we need to say that the rich man was not in Hades because he was rich, just like Lazarus was not uh, enjoying paradise by Abraham's side because he was poor. This was not a rich, poor thing. It had nothing to do with their net worth. The rich man's life was empty because it was a life lived apart from Jesus. And now, as his punishment, he would spend eternity living apart from Jesus. A punishment worse than any. Even while he lived here on earth, he received the good graces of God, some of them anyways. The rain fell on, on both the believer and unbeliever. But now, he, he was living in a place eternally where he would be away from God, away from God's gracious blessings, and he would be in torment, uh, a thought that, that brings even ch uh, chills down our own spines. Did you find it interesting, though, that as Jesus is telling this, he doesn't name the rich man? He names Lazarus, but, but he doesn't name the rich man here. And, and as we come to learn from, from Scripture and from Jesus, he doesn't really do things on accident. If, if, he, if he didn't name the rich man, he did it on purpose. Perhaps because he wanted his hearers to put themselves in the place of this rich man and to heed this story as, as a warning. Because if the hearers of this story are hearing this story, then it's not too late. It's not too late to repent of an empty life, to turn from that empty life, to repent of the empty things that you tried to, to put into your life. It's not too late to repent and turn from those things, he gives us the rich man as a warning. But you know, there, there's another significant thing about the names in this text. You know, at the beginning, we don't, we don't really learn too much about Lazarus aside from the fact that he was poor, covered in sores, and hungry quite often, right? Uh, but one of the, the most significant things about Lazarus was his name. We get his name. Lazarus, which means God is my helper. Now, if anybody would have observed Lazarus, they wouldn't have thought anybody was helping him, much less the Almighty God. It didn't look like he was getting help in this life. But upon Lazarus' death, it was revealed who his true help was all along, that God was his helper and he was justified for relying on God as his, his help. Lazarus lived a, a really hard life. He didn't have really any comforts in this life, but he suffered greatly. But he lived what God would characterize as a full life because it was a life that was connected to God and his word. 
Lazarus wasn't rich, but he, but he was rich. And he lived a full life here on earth in God's eyes that continued on as a full life in eternity. And here we see the role reversal. The rich man lived a rich life with the comforts of this life, but, but suffered eternity in pain and suffering. Lazarus lived a tough life, a life with hardly anything, and he received heavenly bliss. And the only reason, the only difference between the rich man and Lazarus was not money, it wasn't good works, it wasn't their standing in society, it wasn't the things they volunteered for. Lazarus believed in Jesus. Lazarus lived a life with God as his helper, and God truly did help him. He sent help for Lazarus just like he sent help for you and me, help in the form of his, his son who became nothing, took on the, the very nature of, of a servant. He lived a poor life, a destitute life. He was despised by the people around him. The scriptures say that, that Jesus was like one from whom men hide their faces. You imagine Lazarus with all the sores covering him. He probably wasn't a pleasant sight to behold. And Jesus wasn't either, as he was marked with flog marks, as he was hanging on, on a tree with nails in his hands and, and his feet, as the, the splinters of the wood are, are cutting into to his back. Jesus went to the cross, went to a place where he had no help. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has no help, not even from God, so that he could be help for you. Help for you in this life and in the next. It is significant that the rich man is not named because God wants us to see ourselves in that rich man and heed this text as a warning to repent. That's the law working in this text, and it's good that it does. But there's gospel in this text too, and it comes in Lazarus' name. Because God would love nothing more if you identified with Lazarus too. If you adopted the, the name of, of the meaning of Lazarus' name as your life, as the motto for your life, God is my helper because he surely has and he surely will continue to help you. The rich man has one more request though. Father Abraham, uh, could you please send Lazarus back from the dead uh, to appear to my five brothers? And tell them what's going on with me because I don't want them to experience what I'm experiencing. And if they see Lazarus, then, then they'll surely turn from their, their current lifestyle. Abraham responds and says, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. He's saying, they have the word, they have the truth, they have everything they need contained in that word for them to not live an empty life, but to live a full life. The rich man's not convinced, though. He's convinced it's going to take more than just the word. How could just words change a life like that? But if someone comes back from the dead, if they see Lazarus, well, then they'll, they'll change their life. Abraham quickly dismisses this line of thinking, this logic, because Abraham knows this, that the only thing that has the power to convert a lost soul from an empty life is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit working through that Word. In the same, in the same way, 
the only thing that has the power to give you a full life, a fulfilled life, true life, is the Word and the Holy Spirit working through that Word. It's not the vacations. It's not the Instagram photos. It's not the amount of friends that will be at your funeral someday. It's God and His Word. It's with that head knowledge, with that heart knowledge, with that faith and trust that we walk through life with God as our helper in this life and in the next. And empowered by God's word, we are able to discern what is of heavenly value in this life. That it's not the things, it's not the stuff, it's not anything other than in Jesus and his word. And when we're able to discern that, we can chase after what's of heavenly value. We can center our life around his word, prioritize our life according to his word. We can let the, the message of Christ dwell among us richly as a church, in worship, in, a, in Bible study, at your homes, in, in devotion, conversations. Let your thoughts be filled with the word of God. Because a life centered around Jesus and his word that's a full life. Amen. Hi there, Pastor Wilkie here. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. If this is a, a podcast that you enjoy, if it's something that builds you up in God's word and in the faith, could you do us a favor? Could you subscribe uh, to wherever you're listening to this podcast on? Uh, because that helps us get seen by more people more often so that more people might hear about Jesus and his love. Thank you. God bless your week and we'll see you next week.